The gospel reading is taken from Mark, chapter 5, verses 22 to 42, and can be found on page 1007 of the Church Bibles. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her, that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed round him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She has suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and has spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher any more? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk round. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thank you. Uh, Please do take a seat. So I'm going to begin um, by sharing something about myself. And um, for those of you who may know me just even a little bit, um, it probably (laughs) won't come as much of a surprise. And it's this, I'm terrible at sports. I mean, I'm really terrible. I see some laughs back here, um, yes. Um, I remember actually in my school days, uh, where for me the worst part of the week (laughs) <laughs> was the uh, part involving sports. And I'm chuckling because I used to, um, me and Alan Joyce over there in the corner, we used to hate um, any kind of sports. It was, you know, just 
we dreaded it, didn't we? It was awful. Um, and actually, I remember um, that dread I felt when a sports lesson um, was coming up, you know, it was on the schedule for the day. And uh, if it was something like sprinting, I didn't mind so much because I'm quite short, but I'm quite a fast uh, runner, so I didn't mind that so much. But um, the ones I didn't look forward to were the team sports, you know, the things that like football and that sort of stuff. Um, I didn't look forward to them because um, I just wasn't particularly good at them. So if it involved swinging a bat or kicking a ball or participating in any way, that would change possibly the outcome of, of the game, um, whether my team won or lost. I'd actually dread that, and uh, I did used to feel a bit sorry um, for those who um, <laughs> had me on their team. You know, I could see their look on their faces, this look of horror, you know, as they realised that I was going to be um, on their team. You know, I knew what they were thinking, and they knew what I was thinking, that I was going to be rubbish, and I was going to do all that I could to avoid um, the ball being passed to me. Um, and in fact, I would watch uh, on the pitch uh, my teammates as they kicked the ball uh, into the net, and they made it look so easy, didn't they, Alan? And, uh, um, and I'd think, how could I do the things that they did? How could I do the things that they did? And actually, that seemed to change one day, actually, when during a match the ball came flying towards me, and it stopped right in front of my foot. And suddenly, I realized that this was my moment. This was my moment to shine. And uh, I wasn't too far from the goal. And so I remember kicking the ball as hard as I could. And I let out a shout of joy as the ball hit the back of the net. And I thought, yes, you know. And in fact, such was my skill that the goalie seemed to sort of step to the side, almost as if in fear, perhaps, to let the ball in. And, of course, that's when I realised that I'd scored an own goal. But, but still, it was a goal, so I'm quite happy with that. Um, so if you were here last week, you would have heard Jodie um, kicking off. So that's a bad joke there. You'd have heard Jodie kicking off um, a three-part series uh, on the Gospel of Mark. And it's my privilege today to take up the baton, as it were, and to run through the next bit of the Gospel of Mark. And actually taking up the phrase, sorry, the phrase taking up the baton is actually quite an apt phrase um, because the Gospel of Mark, it really does feel like a breathless um, sprint through Jesus' life and ministry. Now, the Gospel of Mark has this pace and this immediacy that is unique to that Gospel. You know, it's a story of action through and through. It's as if Mark cannot wait to get us to the end of the story when we are called to take up the baton or to step on the pitch and continue the story. And so, here we are, um, where we find ourselves, chapter 5, and... Already, Jesus has done quite a lot. He's called his first disciples. He's cast out an evil spirit in Capernaum. He's healed Simon's mother-in-law of a fever. 
He's preached the good news around Galilee. He's healed a man with leprosy. He's healed another person, a man who was paralyzed. Um, He's chosen his 12 disciples. He's taught four parables. Oh, and he's calmed a storm, healed another demon-possessed man, and we're only five chapters in. Wow. Very soon, in the next chapter, Jesus is going to send out his 12 disciples, and he's going to grant them the authority to do as he has been doing. Very soon, it will be their moment on the pitch. And although they'll probably feel a bit like I did um, during a football match, (laughs) they'll be far better equipped. For Jesus is going to give them all that they need. Though before he sends his disciples out, Jesus wants to teach them two more truths about the kingdom of God. Two more things that they need to know in order to go and do what Jesus has called them to do. So this morning we're going to look at what those two things are. And we're going to look at these two remarkable stories um, that we heard in our reading this morning. The raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead and the healing of the woman with constant bleeding. So at this point, you might want to turn to your Bibles. Um, it's Mark 5, 22 to 42. It's page 1007. Just to have a skim through the passage if you have a Bible um, to hand. There should be some perhaps behind you if you can't see it. So I'll just give you a moment to do that. Just have a skim through of the passage again. And as you do, I want you to look at the structure of the passage. Okay? Look at the structure of the passage. Is there anything that you perhaps notice about the structure of the reading this morning? So I'll give you a moment. If you have a look, you might notice that um, Mark structures his two readings, uh, stories, in quite an interesting way. Pardon me. He doesn't simply tell one story after another, but he begins with one story and jumps to another story. So have Mark beginning with the story of Jairus' daughter, and then he stops halfway through and he switches to the second story of the woman with the constant bleeding. And then he returns to complete the story about Jairus' daughter. So he begins story A, then he breaks halfway through to start story B, and then he switches back to complete story A. And Mark actually does this quite often um, in his gospel. And it's the structural quirk that he has, and actually it can be found in the Old Testament as well. Um, and it's called a Markan sandwich. It's called a Markan sandwich, which is a fantastic thing. So that's when Mark starts uh, story A, um, stops halfway through, begins story B and completes story B, and then comes back to story A, A, B, A. One story is filled with another in the middle. So why does Mark do this? Why does he choose this structure? Well, quite often it's to bring home an observation about the nature of God and the nature of God's kingdom. And in this case, he's talking something about the nature of faith. 
So first we have story A. We have the leader of the local synagogue, um, Jairus, and he approaches Jesus and he falls at his feet. His 12-year-old daughter is dying. Now Jairus might have been a man who was friends with the synagogue rulers who would have clashed with Jesus earlier. But now here he is before Jesus and he's humbled and he's desperate. And Jesus has compassion upon him and Jesus goes with him. It is then that story B begins. And as the crowds press in around Jesus, crowds that are perhaps intrigued at the sight of this synagogue ruler humbling himself before Jesus. As the crowds press in, a woman uh, who suffered from bleeding for 12 years without any hope of a cure from doctors, she makes her way through the crowd. She pushes towards Jesus. And Jesus is her last and only hope. And she reaches out and she touches Jesus by the hem of his cloak. Is there an element of superstition, perhaps, in her act? Maybe. But she still has faith. And she has nothing in common with the synagogue ruler. And actually, she would be deemed unworthy to be in the presence of either Jairus or Jesus because of her blood flow. It makes her unclean if we look at the book of Leviticus. And yet, in that instant, by a simple touch... the woman is healed. And Jesus turns to her and he he sees the fear on her face and the confusion uh, that she must, must have. And the woman sees the face of Jesus. And with love and tenderness, Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And now we cut back to story A. And this interruption in the timeline has had a devastating consequence for Jairus because there are messages coming to him with terrible news. His daughter has now died. It is too late. It is over. Sickness is one thing, but death, death is surely another. Hope has gone. There is no point in troubling Jesus now. And yet Jesus overhears them talking. As Jairus, this proud synagogue um, ruler who has humbled himself before him, as he finds his faith vanishing. And Jesus once again has compassion and demonstrates his love. Do not be afraid, he tells him. Just have faith. We might want to stop and let it sink in for a moment and and just think, to just have faith? You know, after his daughter has died? And the crowd laugh at Jesus. And perhaps we may be tempted to laugh along with them. Yet Jesus goes with Jairus and he takes the hand of his daughter and he raises her back to life. So there's two very different expressions of faith there. We have one flawed and perhaps superstitious, yet determined 
determined to push forward despite the disgust and disapproval of the crowd. And the other, perhaps a proud faith, a fragile, yet a faith that ter- and a faith that turns to fear as the last breath um, of his daughter um, comes out. And yet there to meet them both in their place of need is Jesus, who does not judge, he does not rebuke, but he rather encourages and he meets uh, their need. There's Jesus who does the unimaginable, who transforms both their circumstances, changing their fear and despair into hope and healing. The touch of a woman's hand against the hem of Jesus' cloak. The touch of Jesus' hand against the hand of the dead girl. And Jesus in this demonstrates that he is greater than any shortcomings that they may have. And he is able to do so much more than they can imagine. And all through that tiny mustard seed of faith. So can we relate to these two stories of faith? Perhaps like Jairus, we have had times when we've found our faith fails us. I certainly have. Maybe for some of us here, that time is now. You know, you see the mountain before you and you find your faith failing. And perhaps you're wondering, what if that which I'm facing is greater than I can handle? Perhaps you've begun to fear. Perhaps you've begun to ask, maybe God is not big enough or my faith is not strong enough. But if that is you, like Jairus, Jesus says to you this morning, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I see your mustard seed of faith. It's enough. Trust in me. Perhaps you can relate more to the woman's story. You know, you found yourself desperate, and yet you're determined to push forward. And like the woman, you may not always be sure how to approach God uh, or what to say in prayer. Um, Things that you read in scripture may baffle you. Yet you're reaching out for the touch of Jesus. You know that Jesus can meet your, your place of need. And if that is you, then know that reaching out is enough. For Jesus sees you as he saw the woman. He knows your circumstance. He knows what you have gone through, all of it. And like the woman in Mark's gospel, you will see his face. So what is the second thing that we can learn from our reading today? Well, this involves talking some numbers And you might have noticed um, that our passage has a curious fixation with the number 12. You might want to dip into the passage again and have a look. Um, You will see that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. uh, That the woman has had her terrible condition for 12 years. And in case we think this may be a coincidence, Mark reminds us a second time at the end of the passage 
that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. So clearly, Mark wants us to take notice at this point. And things may become clearer as to what that point is when we consider what happens in the next chapter, which is when Jesus commissions his 12 disciples to go and preach the gospel, to go and do what he has been doing. Twelve disciples representing the twelve tribes of Israel. And in choosing twelve disciples, um, Jesus is demonstrating how God is doing something new. You know, Jesus was inaugurating his kingdom rule. He was reconstituting Israel under twelve new patriarchs. You know, Israel, the notion of God's chosen people And that being it was being redefined. I am doing a new thing, Jesus is saying. There's new wine. There's new wineskins. A little later we have the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, how many baskets of leftovers do we find? We find 12. 12 baskets of leftovers. A little further on, uh, Jesus has left Galilee. And he's now amongst the mixed-race pagans of Palestine. And here we find the feeding of the 4,000. Only this time we find seven baskets of food left over. So he's in Galilee, we find 12 baskets. He's outside in Palestine, we find seven baskets. And if we remember that in the Old Testament, God made a promise to Israel to drive out um, seven pagan nations uh, from the land that he promised them, we suddenly see that Mark is doing a very uh, interesting thing. He's making a very controversial and significant point. Mark is saying that God's blessings um, are for the pagans too, for the, for the non-Jews, for people that are not um, perhaps from Israel. And in fact, God desires for every nation in the world to share in his blessings, to have a place in his kingdom. The kingdom is God is not just for the sorry, the kingdom of God is not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles, the non Jews also. The kingdom of God is also for you and for me. And it's also for our neighbour too. And can we remind ourselves again, who is our neighbour? So perhaps the second message then for us is simply a reminder of the gospel. Perhaps it's a reminder that the good news is not just for you and it's not just for me, but it's for our neighbour too. It is good news for the whole world. You see, Jesus is building his kingdom and he's already at work in every part of this world. And although he doesn't need us, sometimes we think Jesus needs us. We think we must go here because Jesus needs us. Jesus doesn't need us, but he calls us He chooses us to join with him in his work in the world. And God wants not only to meet our needs and to see us flourish in him, but he wants to use us to meet the needs of others also. He wants to use us despite our our failings and our weaknesses, our disobedience. He wants to use us. And such is his power that he can use our tiny Nuggets of faith 
to do things that we cannot imagine through it. And so now, having shown us throughout the gospel what he can do, here comes the scary part. Jesus commissions us to go out and do the same. And so to return to a sport analogy, you know, it's time to to get our boots on and uh, get onto the pitch. And we may ask ourselves, what if we fail? You know, or what if God doesn't answer our prayer? What if we let the team down? Because lest we forget, we're not sent out on our own, we're sent out together. But all of these questions, um, God knows. And still, Jesus asks one thing of us, and that's to have our mustard seed of faith. And so may we get on the pitch, as we, as we could say. May we delight in the journey that we find ourselves uh, on with God. And may we see what God can do through us to meet our needs and the needs of, of those whom we meet and those who we pray for. May we be encouraged, um, may we be encouraged to see that God is going to do incredible things through us with our tiny, fragile mustard seeds of faith. I feel nudged to share a story, actually. Um, earlier, myself and Joan um, were trying to get into the safe at the back, and we couldn't get the keys, and we thought, if we don't get in, we're not going to have all that we need for the service. And so, so we prayed. We prayed for the lock, which is, you know, in the name of Jesus, open. And it opened. And then the next lock got stuck and we prayed again. And that opened too. And, you know, did I give it a bit more effort that second time? Who knows? But actually, I choose to believe that God meets our needs in the small things and in the large. I said there's a lot to chew on there. And so I think what we're going to do now is have a time um, of reflection. Um, Just to sort of allow space, to give space for those things that... God may be saying to you this morning. And so you might want to shuffle a little bit in your seat just to get comfortable. Um, Perhaps close your eyes if you want to. Perhaps open your hands out before you. Whatever you're comfortable with. And as you do this, you might want to imagine a mustard seed in your hand. It will be a millimetre or two in size. It's tiny. It'd be yellow brown, perhaps. And it's sitting in the palm of your hand. And a question for you. What would you like Jesus to do today through your tiny mustard seed of faith? What would you like Jesus to do with your mustard seed of faith? What are your fears, perhaps? What are the needs that you have? What are your hopes? Is there a place in your life where you feel like you need more faith?
ask God to give you that mustard seed of faith. Perhaps God is calling you to step out in faith for something. Perhaps he's calling you to something afresh this morning. Just hold that before God. And just ask God for the faith to be obedient, to see that vision come to pass. And finally, we just want to give thanks um, to God that this is made possible through Jesus Christ. And also, I just want to nudge that actually some people here have had a little picture or a sense of something, and I feel like God is saying, that is me. So just to sort of hold that and just allow that, just lift it to God and just pray into that, because that is God. Don't dismiss it but test it. Okay. So, in the name of Jesus, Amen.